On behalf of Yarra City Council and Yarra Libraries, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung as the traditional owners of this country, pay tribute to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Yarra and elsewhere, and give respect to elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to a Short Story Club episode of the Our Libraries podcast. The Short Story Club discusses one short story every meeting, before moving on to other reading recommendations. This week, we're cheating a bit, and Nell and I are here to discuss an excerpt from Robbie Arnott's novel, Flames. Flames, published in 2018, was the first novel from Tasmanian author Robbie Arnott. Longlisted for the Miles Franklin of 2019, Flames meanders through points of view ranging from a tuna fisher to a rat god to the last of the somewhat odd McAllister women. Flames is magical realism rooted in Tasmania's wilderness. So the excerpt is part of a chapter in Flames, and it's from the point of view of Carl, who is a fisherman, except he's not a fisherman maybe in the way that we think of fishermen. Uh, Carl actually fishes in partnership with a seal who he meets as a cub, and he and the seal work to hunt down a one-blood tuna, which is this gigantic tuna that is described in the story. I'm pretty sure they are fictional tuna. I don't think there is a one-blood tuna. It's a really interesting story about kind of the relationship between Carl and the seal, and it ends on a really hopeful note as well. So if you haven't read the story, now is a really good time to go do so. You'll find some information about where to find it in the show notes. And, well, you can absolutely listen to this discussion If you haven't read the story, we will be discussing spoilers and you'll definitely enjoy it more if you had read the story. So please go and do that now. First off, Nell, I wanted to know, what were your first thoughts on this excerpt? Yeah, when I first started reading it, I wasn't sure. There was a lot of kind of blood and guts um, and a description of the actual kind of fishing process. But by the end, I absolutely loved it. And it's I think it's been it's quite a different story to some of the stories that we've discussed um, in the short story club and that it's quite simple it's kind of like a I got kind of like a fable vibe from it and it wasn't kind of super layered in terms of some of the stories that we've discussed that have yeah so it didn't seem to have the same kind of metaphorical layers as some of the other stories that we've discussed and there was a real simplicity to it but as you mentioned there's a hopefulness to it and we've talked about this in the past that I'm a hopeless romantic and quite a positive person in that I like stories that have a positive ending and this was very hopeful and very sweet and you know we were even able to kind of pull out some metaphors I think when we talked about this off air. You definitely touched on one of the reasons why I picked this one for this week now I know that a few of the ones we discussed in previous uh, clubs well they're really excellent stories they were kind of bleak in a lot of ways they were not exactly hopeful endings. I was really worried while reading this I think because it, it's such a trope for a beloved animal companion to have something horrible happen to it. I was expecting something horrible to happen to the seal as I was reading it, but instead the story works through both their relationship and then uh, Carl's relationship with Louise who moves to the island to be with him, but their relationship is never 100% secure until he can be sure that the seal will also love Louise and he takes Louise out on the boat to meet the seal and it's kind of his version almost of her meeting the parents. Um, And it was just such a lovely, (laughs) hopeful note for it to end on. And I did want people to have something this week that left them feeling a little bit uplifted and joyful uh, Mm. because I think we can all do with a little bit more of that in our lives. Absolutely. uh, 
but you're right, it did feel much more rooted in, well, this is a fantastical story in, in some ways. I mean, the people of Tasmania do not form mystical relationships with seal pups and go out to hunt gigantic tuna together. On the other hand, it felt very realistic in the sense that it was it was quite a straightforward narrative. You're right, it doesn't have a, a huge amount of added metaphorical layers as opposed to some of the other stories we've done for Short Story Club are very clearly allegorical, clearly um, stand-ins and ways of exploring particular ideas. I'm not saying that there aren't ideas explored in this story, but I think the sort of lush language that's used to describe nature and the water and fishing and that emotional connection between the characters is definitely more at the center of this story than some of the other ones we've covered. So because nature and particularly water and the sea features so heavily in this, it's something that's described really well through the story. I feel like I could actually, I could feel cold while I was reading it when they were in the chilly waters and I could feel the salt water on my face when there were certain parts that were discussed about about the fishing and being out in the water. And last week, we read The Drover's Wife, which is like a really specific portrayal of Australia, right? Seen as a really classic Australian story. And this story also was long listed, I believe, for the Miles Franklin. There is something about this that portrays a different version of Australian nature, perhaps, than The Drover's Wife. How did you feel about this in terms of the portrayal of nature and how it fits in with that sort of wider idea of like Australian literature engaging with nature? Um, Well, to be honest with you, when I discussed this with the group the other night, a lot of us, when we first started reading it, thought it was set in New Zealand because of that New Zealand seal pup, I think, a New Zealand type of seal. or And also, we, we didn't necessarily think of it as being set in the present day because I kind of believed that there, this might be a thing. And there was someone that totally got to the end of the story and thought, yes, there's people out there that fish with seals in partnership with seals I didn't feel like it was Australia as such until I was reminded that it was in set in Tasmania and then once I was kind of aware of where it was set yeah it painted a very 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 different picture of Australia than the drover's wife I found it a lot less claustrophobic than the drover's wife there's a lot more freedom I think because the sea you know the ocean is kind of quite symbolic of freedom Reading this story, there was a real there. There was a real sense of freedom, and nature wasn't something to be fought against. It was something to be worked alongside, worked with. Whereas the drover's wife, nature is painted in a very harsh, um, kind of monotonous way. But also, the protagonist in the drover's wife is painted in a very heroic light very heroic you know that story she's just incredible that lady that mum and I don't think the na- the nature that we talk about in this story it's it's he's not, he's not being held up as a hero in circumstances which are incredibly harsh you know it even says what he does when he fishes with the seal is not that hard compared to what the seal has to do so the Protagonist is not being held up as any kind of hero, whereas in The Drover's Wife, we're really being shown that what this woman does by protecting and feeding and looking after her four children while her husband is out droving is heroic. So I thought that was quite interesting. What did you think about the depiction of nature in both stories? 
Well, I sort of felt the same way you did, and it seems like nature is more a partner and a companion to the main character in this story, uh, in the sense that he obviously loves living where he does. He talks about how he went through the processes with his partner, Louise, about talking about moving, but they both knew it would never happen and that she would move there. And he obviously loves the seal as well. There's that. There's a real like sense of connection there, and it's not something that he has to do to go out and hunt in this way. Yes, it's... um. Yes, it's financially beneficial when they do bring in a tuna, but you never get the sense that that financial aim is the main reason why they're doing this. It does seem like it's something he's choosing voluntarily, which you're right, does set it aside from the drover's wife. But I don't think that's the only thing to take from it. Certainly someone in the club mentioned that they saw it as an almost Moby Dick sort of tale where it almost is a man versus nature story in the sense that their quest is to hunt this tuna together to kind of successfully assert themselves over like nature being sort of in the place of the tuna I suppose and I hadn't really thought that much about the tuna other than as a way of exploring the other relationships in the story like as a reason for this connection yeah as a way of that connection a reason for it to exist rather than a point in and of itself of the story so it was really interesting to see how different people picked up on those different different relationships I was thinking more about the man and the seal and the man and Louise I wasn't so much thinking about the relationship between them and this tuna that they're hunting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, so I took that relationship, you know, if we are going to kind of look for a metaphor in this story, I took it very much as working with nature, the relationship between the man and the seal, um, working with nature for common goals um, and to achieve a desired outcome. And I think apply that to kind of climate change and things like that in terms of we need to work with nature to manage our um, emissions, you know, so like solar power and wind power and things like that. So I felt there was, if you could be making some kind of tenuous link between, you know, this story and something else, that was kind of something that I pulled out of it. Nature can be a partner in achieving our goals rather than something we need to work against. Absolutely. And at this time in our lives, in this time in history, that's really what we need to be doing. Well, you said there's not isolation. It's definitely a much less isolated story than The Drover's Wife, but you also definitely don't get the sense of the town where he lives as a particularly busy town. And it does, it is sort of a scene in which he finds his most satisfaction, we seem to feel, in being outdoors and being not necessarily with people, but maybe with the seal or even on his own at times. And I thought that was really nice to read at this particular moment as well. Just that idea of someone finding some sense of satisfaction or enjoyment in in isolation rather than it being a, a lack or a loss, I suppose. I found that really quite quite nice as well. So Murakami had that very succinct writing style, and this is not a succinct writing style. It's quite quite lush and descriptive. But at the same time, the way that you just really do believe this like slightly mystical take on the natural world, right? Like it feels very very real and believable. Murakami's writing might be more sparse, but I think you even I might have discussed this and that someone, what did they say? Something about Murakami seems to be writing to work out what he's trying to feel. Yeah, I think that was it. I think it was that Murakami is writing to to work an idea out or you get the sense of him like trying to trying to discover something in what he's writing. Whereas in this writing, you get the feeling that this world exists already and that the author is just doing their best to convey it to us. Like they're not trying to, to work through anything. They're just trying to, to describe this quite beautiful place and relationship to us. 
and the kind of the plot points and everything felt very kind of tight in comparison to Murakami where it can kind of sprawl all over the place this felt quite elegant and kind of succinct but the language is more flowery so um, that's a bit of a contradiction mm. no not so at all I think that narrative yeah. narratively it's a much more tightly constructed story but linguistically it's definitely a, a lot more descriptive and I guess that's an interesting note to think about it being tightly constructed narratively because this is actually part of a larger piece so I said that we were cheating a bit in that this is an excerpt from a novel and there's not a lot of circumstances in which you could do that I think take an excerpt from a novel and let it stand alone as a story so I wanted to ask now do you do feel that this did you feel reading this that this was part of a larger whole or did you feel quite satisfied with this? Like did it work for you as a short story? Definitely worked for me as a short story. The only moment where I was confused was when it talked about the lady coming out of the water with the uh, barnacles and things on her, which was alluding obviously to something else in the book. But apart from that, yeah, I thought it worked beautifully. You know, I, did I read somewhere that a short story is a short story because it has a a very clear story arc. Well, this, this certainly has that. I, I don't think it relies on it, any previous knowledge when you go into it, right? Like it unfolds itself quite naturally and the end of Carl standing there in tears, um, obviously overjoyed that th- that he will be able to keep both of the most important people in his life or the most important beings in his life. That feels like such a fitting conclusion. It doesn't feel like anything's lacking there to me either. So definitely I don't think, I can't think of a lot of novels where you could lift a section out and it would stand alone. I I think that this particular book is unusual in that way in that it almost reads as a series of interconnected short stories. There are recurring characters and there is an overarching plot, but I think several sections probably could stand alone the McAllister women run through it. So if you read that story and that was a bit that really stood out to you and really appealed to you, I think you'll probably really enjoy the rest as well. And the other thing is that Robbie's got a new book coming out as well. So it's called The Rain Heron and I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, hopefully we can get our hands on that quite quickly. I know last time I spoke with you, we were talking about the things we'd been reading and watching and enjoying at the moment. And I was wondering if that had changed. What have you been reading or watching at the moment that you've been enjoying? We're currently watching The Wire, which is so good. Have you heard of The Wire or have you seen it? I have watched The Wire. I went through um, watching all of that with my partner maybe five years ago, I think, and it it kept us busy for a good six months, I think. So you've definitely got a treat there. Now is a good time to get into it, I think. Yeah, loving it. And it's the second time for Adam because I couldn't concentrate on it when he first started watching it 10 years ago or whenever um, he got into it. And and so he's happy to watch it again with me now. But, yeah, so I'm watching The Wire and absolutely loving it. It's so good. And I just finished reading The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, which I've been wanting to read and for a long time and it was so good except that her kind of philosophy is everything that I'm not. It was really interesting, Megan. Have you read it? I have not read it. Um, I was really interested to note that you'd chosen that as your project read for while we're at home because definitely I'm leaning in the opposite direction away from project reads right now. Her philosophy is everything that I'm not. She's like anti-socialism, anti-altruism. But, yeah, there's something really lovely about how much she – loves humanity, even though her philosophy is everything that 
I don't believe in. It Within this, you can tell that it is a love of mankind or humankind that kind of defines this philosophy. But basically, I think, basically, she grew up in the Soviet Union, she grew up in Russia, and she had to deal with all the issues that came with the communism taking over Russia at the time. So I think she came from kind of um, a middle-class family and, yeah, she was persecuted and I think her family was persecuted. And so in her mind, she equates all socialism with what happened to her in Russia, um, whereas I think she's – I just think she's missed the point. So I think in the book it's all about how man should be – humans should be striving for their own happiness, right? Um, And there's a lot of emphasis put on humans finding happiness through doing really well and working kind of incredible, amazing hours, you know, like working really long hours to achieve things like building skyscrapers. So basically it's all about architecture. But I think what she she misses the point is that people, if people are following their own truth and their own happiness – People helping other people is what makes a lot of people very, very happy. So she misses that in in this book. She equates altruism to the source of all evil in in some respects. And I think she just misses the point that if we're all, yeah, if we're all following our own truth, then helping others and making sure no one is left behind, you know, it makes people feel very happy. And I think, also what she misses in in this book. So she's really kind of anti-public housing. What I think she misses is that without socialism, the person that's born into really difficult and harsh circumstances isn't necessarily able to rise above that. So she kind of, she's really quite tunnel vision about her philosophy, which I don't agree with. The book is quite problematic as well. Like she's not a feminist, but there's something behind it that I kind of respect in that I do think it comes from a place of love. This, you know, she just thinks this is what's going to be best for humankind because of her own experiences. Anyway, it is fascinating, Megan. I know I've just gone on a massive long rant about it. Um, no, that, that does sound really interesting. I think so long as I could deal with the the parts that from what you've said I probably would not agree with either, then it could be a really interesting interesting book to read it is very interesting and it's not hard to read like we talk about project reads and you know I did War and Peace last year and Ulysses the year before they were hard they were project reads this wasn't hard to read at all apart from the fact that it's long and the print is small it's a it's a page turner you want to know what happens it is really it's a really good book it's just very problematic (laughs) so so it's an important thing to know Um, I suppose Nell would recommend The Fountainhead but go in knowing that it's extremely problematic and depending on your tolerance for that it may not be the book for you yeah and I think we've talked about this in the past that you've got to read authors trying to understand where they come from and what their life circumstances may have been um, that shaped their worldview and you know you might read a a writer who is a bit sexist or his portrayal of of women are really two-dimensional or things like that I think it's really important that we don't write off authors that might have been writing from an experience that is very different from our own and therefore kind of layering their own prejudices on top of their writing, yeah, I don't think we should just kind of ignore it and not read it. I think it's important to be able to try and understand, you know, humans and probably enough about that. Let's talk about what you've been reading. 
Well, I have also been reading a, a long and fat book, but it's kind of in the opposite direction, I think, of, of what you've been talking about now. Um, I read Sarah J. Mass's new book, uh, and Sarah J. Mass is renowned for her young adult fantasy series, and she launched her brand new series, which is called Crescent City, and the book is called House of Earth and Blood. So it's the story of a half-fae and half-human Bryce Quinlan as she seeks revenge in a contemporary fantasy world of magic danger and searing romance it's a quite ridiculous book in a lot of ways but it's very entertaining it was a lot of fun and it's very very large so I think it's about 700 pages but you can find it on cloud library I really enjoy urban fantasy even the slightly cheesy bits but yeah this was like a really fun read about a half fae half human and her angel paramour and her werewolf best friend and all that jazz so if that's the sort of thing that appeals to you you will probably enjoy this I've been reading and listening to a couple of other things as well. So I've just been listening to The Animals in That Country by Laura Jean McKay. So that's Laura's first novel and it is about a pandemic. So if that is something that would put you off right now, this maybe is not the book for you. Something that's been released called Zoo Flu. And as you progress further and further into the sickness, you get the ability to converse or understand and speak with animals. So it starts off with you being able to communicate with, you know, mammals and uh, you know you're really far gone if you can speak to birds. At its heart, it's about one character, Jean, who is a grandmother who lives at this, I guess it's a wildlife preserve or park, and she kind of helps run some of the tours and has a good relationship with one of the half-dingo dogs who lives on the space. And as this zoo flu becomes more and more of a problem, her son returns and leaves with her granddaughter who she was helping take care of at the time. So he's got the flu, he's decided that they should be communing with whales and things like that. And he takes the daughter and he leaves. So the majority of the story is her trying to hunt down her granddaughter um, with Sue as a companion and bring her back and make sure that she's safe. As she and everyone she comes across are dealing with the after effects of this flu and this sudden ability to converse with animals and what that means for everyone in the world that we've set up. So it's super interesting. Jean is a really great character and I think because I had the author reading it as well, I've really enjoyed listening to it. So I can't tell you where it's going, but I'm really enjoying the uh, cross-country journey it's taking me on. And I've actually been reading The Shifting Landscape by Catherine Kubacic, which is the third book in the Alex Clayton mystery series that Catherine writes, a mystery series that's set in Melbourne, and the investigator is an art dealer who just happens to fall across or come into contact with different crimes, right? It's, it's quite enjoyable if books in which people get murdered can be described as enjoyable, but she travels through a lot of the parts of Victoria or Melbourne that we can't necessarily travel freely through at the moment. Um, the second book is set in Yenjv, a significant portion of it as well. And in this one, Alex is sent out to uh, assess the art collection of a very wealthy farming family, so out in Victoria. Uh, of course, she arrives at the farm. There's all this like infighting going on between the siblings who stand to inherit or not inherit the farm. Think a bit knives out, except less ludicrous. Of course, then as soon as she arrives, crime ensues and has to be solved before she can leave. So that's also great escapist fun, if it's not too gross to describe murder as escapist fun. Excellent. You've been very busy. 
I think last time we spoke, I was in the depths of university work and had an assignment due and that assignment has been handed in now and I celebrated by reading three books in one weekend and it was so nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm coming to you fresh from those experiences. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to tell people about what you've been watching and reading today and to chat about Flames with me. Just a reminder, if you're looking to read the excerpt from Flames we discussed or if you wanted to look up the name of any of the books or TV shows that we mentioned enjoying recently, you will find those in the show notes from this discussion. And if you'd like to join the Short Story Club, which is currently being held on Zoom, you can book in for the morning or evening meetings through our events page at uh, library.yarracity.vic.gov.au, where you'll also find information on how to access each story. Uh, Otherwise, keep an eye out on our podcast and our social media channels to follow them from home. We have a story uh, from Kurt Vonnegut coming up soon, and we hope you enjoy reading along with us. So thanks again for joining us. 